U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action connects you to the leading minds in agriculture. Join Farm Food and Facts host Joanna Guza to explore the latest in sustainable food, fuel, fiber, and more across the value chain. Honor the Harvest Forum is where the suits meet the boots. It is an invitation-only event that gathers food and agriculture leaders to further our global sustainable food system. The former head of Harvard Business School's agribusiness program and now the founder of the Shellman Group, Mary Shellman, emceed the USFRA Honor the Harvest. Today, we are going to gain her high-level perspective of the event and what she's keeping an eye on in the future of agriculture. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being with us today. What was your main takeaway from Honor the Harvest? Uh, Joanna, it's great to be here, and I really appreciate the chance to talk about what I thought was a particularly great and an important event. I think my main takeaway, I, I have a number of them, but you know, really what stood out was the need to get people together from across the supply chain, in person, in a neutral environment, and give them time to learn and to experience and to talk about the future of this incredibly important industry. I think that the need for a systems approach as we look at the issues that face not only agriculture and food, but the world is critical, but also the incredible benefits of a come see us, where you can actually get out and have those suits meet the boots on the ground and really engage and appreciate the complexity of the challenges that our farmers and ranchers experience, you know, every day, whenever they get up and go to work. I think it's easy to think it's like a factory and you turn something on and it makes it, but we know that, you know, weather and other kind issues in terms of the environment and other, you know, market conditions um, create a very interesting and a very challenging situation for them. Right. And I want to emphasize, too, while we were at the event, you mentioned the whole supply chain. That was one thing that was kind of unique for me is at those tables, there was the farmer, someone involved in the supply chain, the end person that was using it. And they all got to talk about maybe some of those challenges, not just what the farmer might be facing, but what the end person is facing, which is then putting demands on the farmer. And we could kind of talk through some of those struggles. One of the takeaways for me, and this took place during the social event, and I feel like that's where a lot of productive conversations happen. <laughs> <laughs> is farmers monetizing their data. What is your take on the future of data and, and monetizing it? Well, I, I think it's just really a critical issue right now. You know, we hear so often that the farmer's data is valuable and it's valuable to input um, providers, you know, the seed companies, the chemical companies, it's valuable to the equipment companies, it's also value to the food processors and to the CPGs that are out there, and potentially it's valuable to consumers. And then we hear this criticism, like the data is valuable, but farmers are very reluctant to share. And my pushback on that has always been like, if this data is valuable, you need to pay for it. You know, don't just say, because that value is occurring down the chain, right? So how does the farmer reward for it and then be encouraged to actually to join and to share and to see the benefits? You think about now the ways that we all share our data, right? You know, whenever I go to Amazon and Amazon basically knows what I've just been looking at on something, you know, and so it says, oh, here's the important recommendations for you right now. They're tailored to you or go on your Safari or Chrome or whatever. And it's almost like they see everything else that you're doing. 
but you know that ends up making your life easier and it adds value to a person i don't think farmers are seeing that yet so i think that you know there's this timing issue right you know the data is kind of accessed today and, and hopefully is being collected but that the value of it is accruing maybe longer term back to the farmer and then someplace down the chain. So I would love to see a situation that, you know, farmers are paid for, you know, kind of the physical thing that they produce, plus the data. And maybe that's a separate payment to recognize the importance of that data. I think we see some evidence that this is happening. The dairy industry in particular, some, you know, dairy processors are paying extra to find out exactly what the footprint is of that milk. So I think that's a interesting and exciting area, but it's one, again, to where if you have this group getting together across a chain and the farmers can appreciate why their data is valuable to someone else, but then the kind of the downstream can understand, you know, the concerns, maybe this reluctance to share, then we can find some models that work. Right. I think one thing is the challenge of making sure it doesn't get into the wrong hands. What advice do you have for farmers that might be in the position, Mary, right now where they have this data and they, they're looking at some of those monetizing or even just working with other organizations? What advice would you have for them when it comes to just making sure that that data is staying secure? Well, I guess, it's, you know, the question is, what is the wrong hands, right? And I think we, maybe we always anticipate that if I give you the recipe for my grandma's amazing apple pie, which might be a family secret, but, you know, can you make that apple pie exactly the same way as my grandma did? Probably not, because there's probably things in there that's contextual around that. I think, you know, clearly data security for all of us, you know, something that I don't pay enough attention to. I'm, I won't tell you how bad I am around that piece of it. But, you know, so we need to all have layers around that. But I think this idea, I think that sometimes exists that I've heard, you know, farmers express it's like, wow, if my neighbor gets this data, they can maybe understand my cost better and outbid me on a piece of land I'm trying to rent or if my bank has it. I think there's way too much data out there for it to get at that level of granularity. I do think it's right, though, for farmers to say, hey, if my data is valuable, why should I just give it to you? I need to get something in return for that. I think that's a much more important conversation. At Honor the Harvest, the forum covered several topics. Three in particular were on understanding tensions within science, youth, and investments in agriculture. What is your perspective on those three items and the impact? I think investment has been tremendously important at leading to a lot of transformation. You know, it's uh, the last, I would say, 15 years or so, if we look at the investment that's come into the and particularly into the areas of research, but new product development from outside, because, you know, perceived as a growth industry, perceived about these critical changes. So not only the, the traditional funders of research, like corporates and then the government, you know, but these investors have come in, um, venture capital, sovereign wealth funds. And I think that's led to a tremendous number of interesting discoveries. I think the challenge now, and this also relates to the science and innovation, we know a lot. The real challenge is how do we actually get that down to the farm level and translate it into something that makes sense for the farmer to adopt? You know, another thing we always hear about farmers from these other communities, especially from the innovation communities, farmers are slow adopters of technology. And it's like, well, I disagree. I think farmers are actually pretty quick 
adopters if it actually makes sense for them, right? If they see the value to it, you look at the introduction of Roundup Ready soybeans in the early 2000s, very, very quickly adopted because it made their lives easier. So I think, you know, that's kind of the investment in the science side. The idea about kind of this, whether we call it next generation or a kind of life cycle of engagement, the need to continually bring in new players, whether those are, are younger folks and make sure that they see um, agriculture and the food industry as someplace that they want to have a career in, to bring in other groups that should be more involved, you know, more underrepresented groups. Now, I think that a lot of activity goes on in that space, but a lot of it's devoted to youth. You know, we've got great 4-H FFA programs, but how do we keep it going at that next step? You know, how do we make sure that we continue to engage as they move into careers that they can have, you know, a fulfilling career, but also how do we take their energy if they don't stay in ag and food directly and have them become ambassadors and champions? A really good perspective is we can get a lot of knowledge from people outside of our industry, but if they don't like the taste of agriculture, then how are they going to be standing up for us? Because we need definitely more allies on our team. And I like that the new players bring the new players to agriculture. Mary, what future trends should farmers be keeping an eye on? Well, oh, there's so many. It, I think there's a lot. I think technology is a huge one, right? Now it's, you know, technology on the farm. There was just a very recent story in the Wall Street Journal about how now there's more emphasis on retrofitting equipment. It, you know, for a while it was like, oh no, it cost a gazillion dollars to, you know, bring in this new sea and spray sprayer system or this tractor with very sophisticated precision farming tools on there. But now it turns out that you can actually retrofit something that's been, you know, around for 20 years. And I think that makes technology much more accessible. It's also, I think, recognizes the fact that farmers are very innovative themselves. You know, my dad was a farm equipment dealer and he was one that worked in the very early days on bringing in no-till farming into the United States. And things don't work the first time well, but, you know, that ability to be out there and actually to engineer on the fly is fantastic. So that's one. I think it's like the tools, but it's also from technology. It's the enterprise management software. It's like the data and how to use that to be more productive, to optimize an operation. Another trend is clearly around sustainability and this particularly companies that are making commitments to reduce their footprints, to reduce emissions, to reduce their water use. You need data to be able to suck into that. Kind of the, a third trend that I just actually heard about at a conference a couple of weeks ago is that you know, we've always held out that farmers are one of the most trusted, the most trusted group, right, in the U.S. I heard some data presented by Ketchum saying that while that is true, you know, still remains the case, that amongst younger consumers, they're starting to actually have more questions about that and that farmers aren't as trusted in the millennials, Gen Zs, they have more questions and that really presents a potential challenge, right? Because if they have more questions and those questions aren't answered, this can lead to basically, you know, loss of a social license to operate, you know, whether it's more restrictions and more regulations, even basically like in Europe where some countries are saying, you know, we don't want this industry anymore. We don't want this part of farming to happen anymore. I think from an opportunity side of that, 
it really means that we need to, again, get back to this idea about you know communication, but not communication for the sake of education, but communication with a lens of engagement. And again, that kind of wraps back into Honor the Harvest, right? It's how the power of being out there on Meredith's ranch and hear her talking about the fact that they were in the midst of the worst drought in 40 years, which meant that she had to reduce, she had to sell off her calves early because there was not enough grass to feed them. And then her very pointed statement about it really, as we think about new guidelines for agriculture, that really needs to be about principles, not practice. Her point was, is that cover crops are great. This year, I can't plant a cover crop. There's not enough water to get a cover crop to grow, but I can cover the field with straw. So it should be about the principle of covering soil. It shouldn't be about I have to plant a cover crop. And again, I just think that power of, you know, it's more than just a story, right? It's more than than showing a picture of a farming family saying, hey, we've been doing this for six generations. Of course, we're sustainable. It's actually, you know, opening it up to those challenges of this is what, you know, the situations we face and this is what we do to respond to it. And, you know, next year we'll have different situations and we'll respond in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that's unique about Honor the Harvest is we have everyone across the supply chain sitting at the table. So now when we're back home at our farm or our ranch, and you just said farmers might not be the most trusted person, what can a farmer do to combat that? Should they be connecting with their brands more so that the brand is then painting the image of what the farm is that they're supplying? Should the farmer be more active on social within their community? You know, how can they kind of bring that trust back and make them the most trusted profession? Uh, that's an interesting question. That Earlier this morning, I was actually having a conversation with a very successful farming operation in Kentucky. And I was asked, like, you know, what do you think about creating a Kentucky brand that for farming? I think the first thing is, is you have to have data. Before you do anything right, you have to get your house in order. And the way that you know you get your house in the order is having the data to support the fact that you are on sustainability is a journey of continuous improvement, right? It's not like a checklist of I did these 12 things. So that's the first PETA. So, so stories are nice. Data are absolutely gold mm-hmm. in, in this world. It's great to, to invite people in. I certainly think engaging in the communities, being present in the schools. And, you know, you just look at what the messages is. That's where opinions are formed and shaped. You know, I like these programs to where... They are very actively looking at agriculture and farming in elementary schools and, you know, in high schools. Um, That also helps the talent piece of it. But yeah, let them grow an organic garden and see how actually very, very difficult it is to do it, but help them do that. I think engaging with brands is important, but leaving that branding work to the brands, that worries me a little bit because brands are always going to take it in the direction that supports their business and that may be different from what supports the upstream side of it you know when we look at now kind of the ways that companies position on sustainability some of them it's like we have to do more with less you know that's the path to a future in a sustainable food system Um, while others are like no 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 you know it has to all be about organic or it needs to be about regenerative agriculture it needs to be about um, these other pieces and those are all important 
And some are like, you know, no, you need to eat plants. And some are like, no, we should just not make it on a farm anymore. Let's make it in a persistent fermentation process, you know, so we don't even have to have a, a farm in the ground. So I think that, yes, it's important to engage and to make sure that you're part of that. But, you know, that the story and the and this always is this invitation to come see us. We're so proud of what we do that, you know, you are welcome on our farm and our operation and our ranch anytime is critical around it. So now I think organizations like, you know, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers are playing and can continue to play a tremendously important role at helping to encourage that engagement. Right. So it's even the farmers being involved in different associations that can help you be that stronger voice. So you're not just that lone farmer on the island, that you are a part of a big organization that has those connections already with a brand. So Mary, you've given us like a taste of, you know, some of the challenges, but are there any other challenges that from those trends you mentioned that farmers could face? Well, I, again, the one that I've been talking about for, you know, the last five or six years, I think the challenge is around this license to operate. You know, I honestly am concerned that the food industry, you know, big food is bad, big farming is bad. You know, we shouldn't have these calls on our, our natural resources in a way. If you play out that story to the end without, you know, being able to address concerns, and engage around these issues, then you can have, you know, these regulations either come down that make it uh, much more difficult to operate a farm or socially you lose a license to operate. It's like, well, I can make this product, but nobody's going to buy it because they think that this is bad. I just, there's a new study out that shows that if you put a warning label on a package of meat, that is like the warning label on a package of cigarettes that smoking is bad for you, in this case, that meat consumption is bad for the environment, that significantly reduces demand. That's not a situation that I think benefits anyone. I think that this is farming and ranching. We heard from one of the sessions, the opening session at Honor the Harvest, or the, the opening session for science about you know the exciting possibility of farms being a solution to climate change rather than a contribution to climate change. So I think we all have to really keep that potential threat in front of us. And that, again, goes back to the need to work together rather than say, oh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing and it'll all be okay at the end. You look at certain industries in certain sectors in the Netherlands or in Denmark or in, you know, some of the European countries to where it's not the case. You know, the, the country level, there's a decision that, no, we don't want to have these type of operations anymore. I don't think that's going to happen in the U.S., but I think the risk is there. Always important to be knowing what we're up against that could come into our territory. Mm -hmm. Mary, I'm curious, from your time being the head of the Harvard Business School's Agribusiness Program, what were some of the challenges then that you were dealing with? And are we seeing any of that now or has things changed? Well, I think, you know, it's been a super interesting time in the 11 years I was at Harvard from 2005 to about 2017, so 10, 11, 12 years or so. And it were really four big trends that were going on in the industry and trends are an opportunity. So hopefully trends stay, right? You talk about these same things for these 11 years, because if not, it's a fad and that maybe isn't something you should be paying such attention to. But, you know, the four big trends that 
for during that time, one, the consumer is being much more engaged and empowered when it comes to their, you know, their food purchasing decisions, that sustainability now is fundamental. It's not a fad. It's something that is just fundamental to business. And because it's fundamental to business, it's fundamental to farming. And the third one is the technology transforming across the supply chain. And the fourth one was actually around investment and how much this new investment coming into the industry has led to change. And some of that change is driven by investors that have a different vision of what the food system should look like. You know, lots of calls saying, you know, the food system's broken, you need to fix it. And also having different, one, appetites for risk, and two, different expectations about the pace of change. And the fact that we kind of keep going along and like they think that transformation should come more quickly. So I think those four trends still hold. I think the investment one is now twisting a little bit given the recent events in the capital markets. The interest rates now are much higher. I just saw where like WeWork declared bankruptcy. So a lot of these big bets out there and, you know, other sectors have some of that, I think will come into some of these kind of innovative approaches that we've seen on the food and the ag side, uh, a lot in the controlled environment ag space, you know, we've seen some casualties there, things like alternative proteins, you know, like I saw for Beyond Meat just laid off, you know, a bunch more people. But I think that just because you see some casualties doesn't mean that those investments, they are going to go away. And it's just maybe they'll be a little more commercially appropriate you know so i do think it's the same right you know clearly the complexities um, i think that one thing now that's come back it was in the conversation in 2007 2008 is this kind of trade-off between kind of food security and sustainability those conversations that maybe what's perceived as attention around that how can we have both the food security national security you know, conversation is increased again. It's not something we haven't seen before, but it's kind of back on the agenda now, given everything from COVID to the war in Ukraine to some of the other events around that. There's so much that we're keeping an eye on, and we're glad to have your expertise here on Farm Food Facts. Last question for you, Mary. How can all of this be an opportunity for farmers? I mean, you just gave a whole list of trends and and some challenges, but you know, what is the underlining opportunity for farmers? Well, I think it's to see the your enterprise as more than just what happened in a particular field every year. I mean, clearly it's a super important part of the food system. I've always believed this is the most important industry in the world, right? You know, because it Im- impacts the environment, impacts people's health, it impacts uh, everything globally. I think we do a terrible job about marketing to attract, you know, young people into it. And they may see it kind of dark and dodgy and dull. It's like, no, this is the most important industry in the world. So how do we really claim that story? The the other piece is that, you know, again, it's about the data. I think the ability now to really understand and manage in a very different way. So that's an exciting opportunity for younger folks. My son, my son at 31 now is super interested in ChatGPT. And the way I think about ChatGPT is like, well, it's a sophisticated like Siri or a Alexa, right? I can just ask it a question. It'll give me an answer. And he's using it to basically almost like it can be a CEO of a company, right? Kind of walking it through a decision-making process. So I think part of that is like, we need to really get out, engage with young people and get their ideas and their talent 
ways to see the world differently inside the industry. The future of agriculture starts with our young people and making sure that they're engaged and that they're on our sides and that they see the opportunities. Like you said, this is one of the most important industries. It's what we eat, the clothes that we put on. And we need people to realize that when we talk about farming, you're the food provider, <laughs> just like we have our health care provider. We're the food providers. Well, I think, I think you're both right. You know, the food provider, but it's also food is health now which is, so that's something that I see coming, a much greater link between, you know, what we eat and how we are physically. I think, you know, that's what, you know, the younger generation is interested in. Thank goodness they're interested in that. I think that's the next wave that's coming is, you know, that we just don't look about farmer growing a crop or grain, but a farmer's actually growing nutrition or they're growing fuel or, and how do you, do you actually like recognize and manage that nutritional content in this process rather than saying, well, that's an end of the chain opportunity, you know, because some food company is going to take it and they're going to add this and they're going to add this and they're going to add this. So stay tuned for that one. That's a, I, uh, that's one that I'm watching. Right. Just make sure that we're always still a part of the conversation. Well, Mary Shellman has been our guest on Farm Food Facts, and we appreciate your time and your expertise. And we also appreciate our listeners' time for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this topic, please rate and subscribe us on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you tune in again. I'm Joanna Guza for Farm Food Facts. <music>